She's Tori. And he's Nick. And this is I Want to Rewatch. An X-Files podcast, season three. Episode 14. Grotesque. In this episode, Mulder and Scully are assigned to help with the serial killer case because after the suspect is arrested, there's another death. Mm. Scully suspects a copycat, but Mulder believes the suspect who says he was possessed by a monster when he committed the murders. To find the truth, Mulder will try and get inside the head of the monster if it doesn't get inside his head first. <gasps> oh, no. <laughs> Uh-oh, playing with fire. It seems like this has happened multiple times and they like catch a serial killer and then there's another death. Yeah. Or seems the like person maybe... is killed and then there's a, you know, they're sentenced to death or whatever and then there's another death. Yeah. yeah. Also got some Will Graham action going on in this I episode. I say Manhunter, oh, that movie is so good. That is, <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, I will, yeah. Nothing against Silence of the Lambs. Manhunter is a way better movie, in my opinion. It's a different style, though. So yeah. It is, yeah. Yeah. This episode originally aired on Friday, February 2nd, 1996. It was filmed in British Columbia, Canada, and it was written by Howard Gordon and directed by Kim Manners. So we are at George Washington University Extension Program, Washington, D.C. And we're in art class, and they're sketching a nude male model who is poised at the front of the room. And the students are all, like, doing their drawings. And we see a bunch of their drawings. They're doing chalk and those kind of stuff. And then off to the side, one of the students, who we'll learn, is John Mostow. He is hard at work with a charcoal pencil, and he's sketching and kind of breathing heavily. And he's really, like, just boom, 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 like, very frantically, like, just drawing, 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 like, just doing it, right? And then at one moment, he stares at the model, like, super intently for a while. And the model, almost like you get that feeling like someone's looking at you because the model kind of turns his head to look over there mm-hmm. and then like turns back to his pose, right? Because he's not supposed to be moving because he's supposed to be in his pose kind of thing. So and then we go back to Mostow and he's doing his drawing thing. And we turn he's actually he hasn't been drawn the guy in front of him. He's drawn like this gargoyle looking thing. Big, scary, like face and everything. It's kind of almost like a Nosferatu a little bit too. It's got like bald head and pointy ears and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And he's like just totally drawn like in a fervor, almost like he's unable to stop. Like he's almost like possessed, like he has to draw. And then his pencil breaks, so he opens up a utility knife and starts to sharpen it, but then he, like, cuts his finger, and it's bleeding pretty good, honestly. But then he just goes back to his sketching, but then as he's doing it, he ends up smearing, like, a big old thing of blood on the face of his drawing over one of the eyes. And then the teacher calls it, like, oh, class is over, we're all done, and he brings the model a blanket to cover up so he can go off and go get dressed. And he's like, if you guys haven't finished your drawing, you'll have more time next week. I guess it's like a a once-a-week kind of class. And Mostow like shuts his toolbox and picks up his sketch pad and all that kind of stuff off the easel. And, and he like rushes out and he bumps into someone else and then just goes out of the room. And then on the street, we see him like stop for a second, look around. And then he like heads off. And then from up above, we kind of get like an over the shoulder view from this like gargoyle that's on the building corner overhead. Then we see the model. He's dressed and he's like in his dark alley where he had parked his car. And he hears something, and he looks down the alley, looks empty. Then we get the view from, like, further down the alley that we can see the model, and we can tell that someone is in the alley lurking. And the model goes to open his car door, but someone is, like, jammed. almost like a, It's almost like a, they jammed a screwdriver and then broke it off, like, in the lock or something. It's like a, like a metal cylinder or something, like, broke off in the lock. 
Uh-huh. So he's frustrated. And he's like, oh, God, he can't get in his car. And then in the window of the door behind him, he's like, it looks like a gargoyle face in the window. And he spins around. And then we see this like veiny, leathery hand holding a utility knife. And then it swipes out. And we hear the model scream, ah! And then it's not the theme song. You thought it was going to be a theme song. It's not. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It's an alarm clock. And it's <laughs> 6.30 a.m. And it starts beeping. And we see that John Mostow is lying in bed. And he's not in the best shape, right? He's really groggy. And then a bunch of FBI agents like burst in through his door with guns. And they're like, we have a warrant for your arrest. And they start giving him random rights. And they throw him on the ground. And he's like, ah, you're hurting me. Because they're like, you know, he's on the floor. And they're pulling his hands behind him to do it. And we see that his hand is still covered like in charcoal and blood from the night before. And as they get him up and they're walking him out, he like reaches over and he bites one of the agents, Agent Nemhauser, on the hand. And then they take him away and they're like, are you okay? And he's like, yeah, I'm fine, fine. And then they rush Musta out of the room. And then Agent Patterson is the only one left in the room. He's like in charge of the raid. And then he's looking around and like the walls of Mostow's apartment or room or wherever it is, they're just covered in all these charcoal sketches of gargoyles monstrous faces and stuff some of them are like full figures some are mostly a lot of just the face right and he's looking through the drawings and then he sees the toolkit down on the ground so he goes through and he opens it up and he pulls out a utility knife he slides the blade out and it has blood on it and he smiles and he's wearing gloves so he didn't just like grab it and you know he's got gloves on good job and then it's the theme song there we go there it yeah. is we there knew it was it coming yeah. <laughs> and Agent Patterson is played by Kurtwood Smith, who also played Red Foreman on that 70s show, which is interesting because obviously the woman who played his daughter was in the previous episode. So it's mm-hmm. just interesting timing because obviously yeah. that 70s show did not exist yet. So. No. <laughs> He's had a really active career. He's appeared on shows like House, Psych, 21 Jump Street. He also played an FBI agent on Medium oh. and he had recurring roles on Agent Carter and 24, among many other shows. He's done a oh, lot of okay. things. And, 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 and he was Clarence Boddicker in RoboCop. He was nice. the bad guy. He was the head bad guy in RoboCop. Oh, okay. Yeah. Going back to that 70s show and how much I had was like with the whole Donna and Eric thing. I had a really hard time watching it at first because he is so like just evil in RoboCop <laughs> that I could not disassociate him from that. That's not the only thing I knew him from. And like, I knew it was him, and I just like just the fact of like, oh, it's oh, oh, it's going to World Cup. I just had a really hard time getting my head around it. And then, of course, you know, Red Foreman is like super grumpy and old manny, but uh, you love him because he's yeah, exactly. And so, yeah, but like at first, I really had a hard time like disassociating myself from the character of him in Robocop because he was just so villainous in that movie. And like, I watched that movie, like, it came out when I was 17, it's imprinted in my brain. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. I usually try to avoid doing this, but I decided to do some credit scrolling on him to see what else he's been in. Sure. He will play an agent again two more times. He played agent, and these are all voice acting. He played Agent H in two episodes of Men in Black, the series, which is actually a really good cartoon. I watched that cartoon. It was actually pretty good. And then he also plays Agent James Bennett in Batman Beyond in one episode. And then in 14 episodes of Zeta Project, which was like a Batman Beyond spinoff. So he was Grimm's dad in two episodes of The Grimm Adventures of Billy and Mandy which I love and has the best Christmas special ever. I recommend everyone watch it this holiday season. And for sheer personal nerd cred, he was in one episode of a cartoon that I was 
super obsessed with for a very long time and which I don't really, any of them I talk to has no idea. They never heard it before. My wife obviously knows who it is. I talk about it all the time. Super robot monkey team hyperforce go. Love that cartoon. Does so. not sound familiar, but I don't know. Maybe if I saw fantastic. images. Fantastic. Nice. Well, I did love Batman Beyond. So that was one of my favorite shows. I don't remember him from Batman Beyond. I mean, I don't either. Voice acting. But... Like, you know, I watched him in black. I don't remember that. But I don't remember the Batman Beyond thing. I don't think I ever watched the Zeta Project. Yeah, um, that doesn't and sound I don't remember. I'm honestly trying to remember when Grimm's dad showed up in two episodes, Grimm Adventures of Billy and Mandy. And if I do, I don't remember like the voice on it, but just like, oh, cool. So, yeah. Nice. Billy and Mandy Save Christmas, though. <sighs> Gotta watch it. Gotta watch it. I'll have to check that. I've never seen the Grimm Adventures of Billy and Mandy, which seems like my kind of thing. So I'm surprised I haven't seen it. But so. Santa Claus is Gilbert Gottfried. Okay. And Mrs. Claus is Carol Kane. Okay. Who is the ghost of Christmas past in Scrooge. Uh-huh. So, among other. Lots of yeah. Among other many other things. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But yeah. Fantastic. It has the best end theme song ever for a Christmas special. Not going to spoil it. Not going to spoil okay. it. But the best end theme song ever when they run the credits after the episode. So I'll have to check it out. Maybe I'll actually watch the show first a little bit to get an idea of what the show I, Well, no, is. you could watch the special and be fine. Okay. So, so it's not one of those things where yeah. I need to know. No, it's two kids are. and the Grim Reapers, their friend and hangs out with them. Yeah. Definitely sounds up my alley. I like Grim Reaper shows. Yeah. Yeah. I'm always looking for new stuff to watch on the holidays. Cause like I always watch the first three community Christmas episodes. Cause I think those are all really solid. And then I watch like elf. And like sometimes I'll watch Scrooge. I usually watch them up at Christmas Carol because that one's really good. Uh, Those are kind of my holiday. Have you ever things. watched the um, 1984, you know me, 1984 TV movie, A Christmas Carol with Edward Woodward as I don't think so. Christmas present and George C. Scott as Scrooge? Oh, no, I haven't. Jeff and I watched it. You can listen to our episode on Jane Lynn's The End, one of our Christmas specials. Nice. That's, one, that's my, my favorite version. I feel like the Muppet Christmas Carol is just the best one. Like Michael Caine is so good and all the songs are really great and Gonzo's. Charles Dickens and what else do you want? What else do you want? It's freaking great. So anyway, yeah, that one. I mean, no songs in the George C. Scott version, but yeah, I do. <laughs> I do like my songs. I know you like your songs. <laughs> about, I mean, world domination is fine as long as there are songs. One hundred percent. All right. So anyway, today is a tangenty day for us. It is. So then we are at the X Files office, and Mulder has his trusty slide protector out, and the current slide shows John Mostow's mugshot. And he tells Scully that Mostow is an unemployed painter, divorced, no kids. He came to the U.S. from Uzbekistan during Perestroika. I don't know what Perestroika is, but. Perestroika was the basically warming. It's like when when the Soviet Union broke down. Okay, gotcha. It was kind of like the, I can't remember what the direct translation for that word is, but like the warming of relations between like the West and the East sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And so like with Gorbachev and all that kind of stuff. So Perestroika. Like, you know, okay, we'll, we'll so, send you blue jeans now. We won't, and won't now you to, like, can buy come them over the here. And, and, gotcha. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And then Yakov Shmirnov had to like totally like rework his entire career, basically. Okay. So, yeah. So based on his INS application, he failed to mention that he'd spent the better part of his 20s in an insane asylum. And Scully, reading the report, notes that he was arrested for the serial murder of seven men last week. Mulder says that the crimes took place over a three year period. All the victims were male and aged 17 to 25. 
And Scully asks if he had an MO. And Mulder says that death to all victims was caused by blood loss from facial mutilation, which is pretty extreme. And the wound pattern was always identical. It's on page three. So she can go ahead and look yeah, at the just read it. The report, Scully. <laughs> <laughs> Gave it to you for a reason. Why would you? If Mulder can just explain it to you, save yourself some time. So Scully does read the report. She does turn to page three. And she reads that both eyes punctured, gashes from the corners of the mouth to the ears, which is a very Joker-esque like mental picture for me. Like I picture like cut from you know lip to ear. And Mulder flips the slide to a close-up of one of the victims. And Scully says that that level of violence indicates a very angry individual. Or individuals, Mulder says. Mostow claims he was possessed during the murders. And Scully points out that this is kind of a common claim by criminals who have disassociative disorders. And Mulder tells her that that was actually the prevailing opinion until last night. And he flips the slide to a new victim. He says a 19-year-old was found dead six miles from there with identical facial wounds. And Scully's like, copycat? And Mulder says, according to assistant director Skinner, who asked them to look into this case, the details were never released. So the details of Mostow murders are not public knowledge, so there can't be a copycat. Mm. Only members of the crime team would have that information. And Mostow has been in custody for five days. Well, that narrows the list of suspects then, because obviously someone on the crime team. Yeah, actually, I assumed because Nemhauser was bitten. Yeah, me too. I assumed that the bite was going to be some kind of transmission or something, but that's because I watched too many zombie movies. Yeah. Also, Mulder has some nice five o'clock shadow action going on in the scene, and I dig it. He gets some later in the episode, too, but I just thought it looked good. Yeah, I immediately was like, oh, Nemhauser got bit, dude. Possession or not, this is why. However, you said it kind of in a way where maybe that's not going to be the case. So, hmm. Concerned huh. now about my rationale. <laughs> well, well I mean, I don't see how it could be anybody else. He was bitten by the killer. That's how these things work, right? I mean, yeah, pretty much. So we are at DC Correctional Complex in Lorton, Virginia. Not sure why it's the D. I mean, I that whole area is a convoluted mess of like states and everything around DC. But why it's mm-hmm. the DC Correctional Complex? But it's in Virginia. I don't know. Who knows? Maybe D.C. is not District of Columbia. Maybe it's like Dexter Corden's private correctional complex. I don't know why I came up with that name, but I did because it was a D to C. Anyway, there's a window in the door to Mostacel, and it opens and it lets light in. And he's like, ah, turn the lights off. It hurts my eyes. And so they close it and the door opens and Mulder and Scully walk in. This confused me because you would think they open the window and like all this light pours in. Mm-hmm. He's like, ah, then they open the door and it's like dark as hell. Like, yeah, I don't know if maybe the window's just aligned in a way that the light from above just hits it at an angle. But I don't the know. door was open. They opened the whole door. I and know. It's not light. Like, I don't, that confused it me. It doesn't make a lot of sense unless they turned off the lights before they opened the door, which they, I can't I imagine they would do. That, it just, I was confused yeah. a lot. Anyway, that's maybe, fair. It was they, weird. Were they shining lights through the? I don't know. Maybe, yeah. maybe they were shining. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, those crazy ass like gazillion wattage flashlights they have. Anyway, so they go in and they close the door behind him so that no more light comes in, I guess, or something. And he's sitting on the floor and he's in a straight jacket, like total like old school straight jacket too. And Scully's like, "Why aren't you using the bunk?" And Mulder's like, "Because he's been working." 
And then we see a drawing of a gargoyle face on the floor of the cell. Um, I'm not sure how he drew it if he's in a straight jacket, but anyway. Mulder bends down next to him and asks him, like, what is it? What is this thing? And Mostow says, it killed those men. And Mulder asks if it has a name. And Mulder starts guessing. So he asks him if it has a name. <laughs> Mostow doesn't answer. And then Mulder's like, demon, devil. And Scully says, maybe it's just your accomplice. And Mostow glares at her and says, I had no accomplice. And then she asks if he killed all those young men himself. And Mostow responds, it killed them. How many times do I have to tell you? And Scully tells him that it won't be tried for seven murders under the death penalty. And he's like, that's why it laughs at fools like you. And then he turns to Mulder and adds, and fools who would pretend evil can be brought to heel with a snap of its finger. It makes men lick the greasy floor of hell. And then Scully asks if that's what it did last night, snapped its fingers and let another young man die. And Moscow like, looks scared and is like, what? It's killed again? That means it found somebody just like it found me. And then the door opens and we see agents Patterson and Nemhausen. And Patterson asks if he can see Mulder and Scully outside. Yeah. Mostow's dialogue is super over the top, but I kind of dig it. I don't know why. I feel like it just really works for him. Like, it's very dramatic. Well, he's supposed to be insane, right? He is supposed to be a little unhinged and like, yeah, I don't know. I just thought it worked really well. Normally, I'm like, it's a little over the top. This time I was like, yeah, it works. It works. Yeah. I probably did not do it, Jess did. Usually, just my descriptions are over the top and I go manic and lose my place. But I kept it down. Here. There's a lot of dialogue in this one. I had to keep. I know. I know. There's a lot of back and slow forth. Slow it down a little bit. So. So once the door closes, Patterson says, "So what is it, Mulder? Little green men, evil spirits, hounds of hell." And Mulder's like, "Scully, meet Bill Patterson. He runs the investigative support unit out of Quantico." And Scully knows because Patterson literally wrote the book on behavioral science. And so Scully's like, "It's an honor. You know, it's an honor to meet you." She says, "Sir," a lot too. A lot. Yeah, a lot. She's a lot. very deferential. I mean, obviously, we're supposed to understand that this guy is like a big deal in the FBI. He basically helped invent the behavioral science unit kind of thing. So he's very I mean, her dad was also in the Navy, too. So it's probably like ingrained in her to say sir a lot, too. So that, too. Yeah. yeah. So Patterson asked Scully if she also believes the suspect is possessed by some dark spirit. And Scully says not at all. And Patterson's just like funny company you keep then. And Mulder says. That's what always amazed me about you, Bill. You never fit your own profile. No one would ever guess how really mean-spirited you are. And Mulder like starts to leave. And Patterson calls out that the arrest of John Mostow was the result of three years of hard work by his unit. And Mulder stops. And Patterson continues, you can imagine we were awful upset by this latest murder and the suspect floating this possession theory. Mulder guesses that Patterson believes Mostow has an accomplice, despite the fact that Patterson's own profile asserted that the killer was almost certainly working alone. And Patterson points out that his profile led to Mostow's arrest, and he still believes he was working alone. He also thinks the second killer is working alone, too. Mm. Interesting. Mulder asks about the gargoyle drawings. Patterson says that Mostow draws this thing to keep this demon of his away. And Mulder says that makes sense, as historically that's what gargoyles have been used for, to ward off evil spirits. Patterson tells Mulder that he doesn't need anyone indulging Mostow's story. Mulder tells him he was asked to look into this case, and if Patterson has a problem with that, he can take it up with Assistant Director Skinner. And then he walks away, Scully kind of looks back at them, and then follows him. Mm -hmm. Yep. (laughs) 
And they were at 1222, so 1222 South Dakota Street in Washington, D.C. And Scully and Mulder walked through the corridor of an industrial-looking space, and she asked about his beef with Patterson. And Mulder tells her that Patterson never liked him. Scully thought Mulder was considered a golden boy when he first joined the Bureau, but Mulder says, not by Patterson. Mulder jokes that he didn't want to get his knees dirty, and they kind of smile at each other. And then Scully surmises that he wouldn't worship Patterson like the other students. And Mulder's like, yep, pretty much. And then Scully says a lot of people actually joined the FBI because they wanted to be Patterson so they could work with him. And Mulder says he had a saying about catching killers. If you wanted to know an artist, you had to look at their art. But Mulder says what it really meant was if you wanted to catch a monster, you had to become one. So then Mulder just like rips the crime scene tape off the door. (laughs) Mastos plays and opens it up and goes inside. And inside, as we saw when, you know, the FBI busted in, there's just all these drawings of gargoyle faces like hanging from wire, pasted on the wall. Just basically every surface you could think of is like just covered by drawings of gargoyles. And they're looking at some of the drawings when this cat makes this growly whine and jumps down from the shelf above Scully, making them both jump and scaring Scully. And Scully says she thought it was one of his pictures coming to life. And then Mulder looks under the bed where the cat ran and he sees there's actually a hole in the wall. He's like, oh, he's got access. And then so they go and check it out. Yeah. So when that cat did the meow, it's like a really loud meow row kind of deal. Like it's really loud. Locke was sitting next to me and he like jumped up and his tail got all poofy and he was like looking around like, what was that? It was really funny. So yeah, freaked my cat out. He was just like, what the heck? Also, it's a gorgeous black cat. And I was kind of wondering if it's the same one from Fresh Bones. And it's probably not, but it's. I actually think it probably is. Oh, do you? Because it's only been a year. In fact, Fresh Bones aired on February 3rd, 1995. And this is February 2nd, 1996. So it's just one day shy of a year, which makes me think it might be on purpose. Also, Howard Gordon wrote Fresh Bones. Maybe it's his cat. I don't know. But the fact that it's only been a year. And then plus, we're going to see the cat later. And I do think that this is the same cat. Okay. I mean, it looked really similar. It's a very beautiful yeah. black cat. And it's yeah, very... it's not, it's not, I think we talked about this during Fresh Bones, like, cause I have two black cats, right? And one is like short hair and one is like long hair, like part Maine Coon kind of thing. And like that cat was like, like we talked about, like maybe it was like kind of like a mashup of the two of them. This cat is the same. It's mm-hmm. not like as fluffy and well, fluff, Frank's isn't fluffy, but as like hairy as Frank's is, but it's not like a short haired cat either. It's kind of like a, standard like medium to longish haired cat Mm -hmm. but i think i mean not that like black cats are super rare or anything but just the fact that like all the coincidences make me think that maybe it's the same cat and whether it's like someone who works on the show or they just they got they got the same cat actor and the same yeah it's only been a year so you know yeah i could see them getting the same cat wrangler back with like the same cats i mean they don't credit any of this stuff no, I don't even credit. I mean, like, you know, movies all the time, you always get like, you know, the, the people who like were the cat wranglers and all that kind of stuff. And sometimes even like the cat's name TV, they don't do shit. So, yeah. No. Nope. Yeah. And then as was maybe hinted in my description here, like eyebrow arch on the whole Scully, like, I thought it was one of his pictures coming to life. Like foxhole skeptic much. Come on. Like, you yeah. know, like, oh, it's not real. And then as soon as it's like, oh, my God, the paintings are coming to life. I'm going to get me. <laughs> So. To be fair, that would be me exactly. I'd be like, this isn't <laughs> real. This is nonsense. And then as soon as something <laughs> happened, I, I'm like Scooby and Shaggy. And I would be like, zoinks, it's a ghost, <laughs> like immediately. So. <laughs> so then Mulder looks under the bed where the cat ran. And as we said, we saw there's a hole in the wall. And so they push the bed aside and then they start doing almost like they start doing some Scooby-Doo action. They start tapping on the wall. like looking uh-huh. at the 
passages or something. And then they start, they, they're like peeling away like the, you know, the drawings, all that kind of stuff. And they realize that it's actually a door behind mm-hmm. all this stuff. And so what do you usually do with a door? Yeah, open it. Mm-hmm. We do, and it's dark inside. And Scully's like, maybe we should wait till we can get some more light. You know, she's probably like, there might be some paintings that'll come to life and get me. I don't know. <laughs> but Mulder has a little pan light, and he's like, I got light, and so he's good, right? So he goes inside, and Scully does not go inside. She stays like at the door. Yeah. And then inside, he sees a statue of a gargoyle, and then he sees several statues of gargoyles. And Scully's like, again, standing at the door. She's like, What's in there, Mulder? What do you see? What do you see? And he's like, Gargoyles, lots of them, sculpted in clay. And then Scully's like, why would he keep them in a secret room? And then Mulder touches the face of one of them because it's kind of shiny. And he realizes his clay is wet. And so he starts peeling the clay off. We know Mulder touches things all the time. <laughs> I think he should not be like just ripping apart these things. But it, I guess it works out because he pulls the clay off and finds out there's a human face under the clay. Right. So, so there's a body in there. Ooh. Yeah. I know it is one of those things where I like, Instead of being like, maybe we should wait till there's more light. I feel like it should be, maybe we should wait until we get like the forensic team down here or something like. Take some photos before you start tearing things apart. Yeah. yeah you know, like get some, gather some evidence, get, get a collection team in the room before you start ripping things open. But yeah, anyway. Yeah. Or at least, you know, have someone else to witness this, what's going on so that when they say like, oh, well, you knew it was there because you did it or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. you have someone who's like, no, no, he didn't, you know, whatever. No, yeah. no, we followed protocol. We have real evidence to get whoever this is. Like, yeah. it's not going to get thrown out because you dug your fingers into the clay and just started ripping it. Yeah. <sighs> possibly Mulder destroying any himself. evidence of the clay because, like, the person possibly touched it with their hands when right. they were sculpting it and maybe left some prints in the clay, possibly. I don't yeah, I don't know. I mean, it is that kind of like clay where you have to wet it to do it. So probably not because it would be all wet. Yeah, exactly. But still, you never know. So then we cut to a guy and he's working on blowing glass and he removes a piece from the kiln. I don't actually know what that thing is called. I called it a kiln, but I know that's for pottery, but it's just like a hot thing. It's a big hot furnace with. for. Yeah. And he pulls it out and there's this sound like a door opening. And he doesn't, he kind of looks around, you know, because he's in the shop or this workspace and he doesn't see anybody. So he goes back to work. Suggestion, Mr. Glassblower, if you're working with making glass and making like we see like stuff on the shelf, it's all like really nice looking glass vases with like colors in them and all that kind of stuff. Maybe have some lights on in your room. Don't just work by like the kiln light. I'm just yeah. saying, just a suggestion. And then a shadow creeps across the shelves of all the finished glass pieces and the glassblower is attacked. And he screams and he drops his metal rod with the still flaming hot glass on the end. And it just like clunks to the floor. And then we get a commercial. Dalton weapon, dude. What are you doing? (laughs) Take it. Stab someone with it. That'll hurt. Burning hot glass. I think that might work. But yeah, okay. You know, I I, I, admittedly it's long. So if the person's already on you, that's not. That's true. It's not going to be super easy to wield. Yeah. He does get kind of surprised, obviously. So like he's not ready, but still. Yeah. And then there's a commercial. Or you dodge the attacker and he falls in the kiln and you're like, ha. <laughs> I like how you're plotting out how you'll defend yourself if you're ever blowing <laughs> glass and someone attacks you. <laughs> You've got it all worked out. I got, I got a plan. I got a plan. One, I would not be I would not be blowing glass in the dark. And right. just be like, ah. Oh. I mean, I love I love the dark. And I'm like, you give me a fireplace and a dark room, I am the happiest. Like I'm like caveman. <laughs> caveman caveman like i'm happier than anything but like if i'm doing glass as like a job i'm like blowing all this fancy looking glass i might want to be able to see what i'm doing 
possibly. <laughs> so I'm just guessing. I don't know. But yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> anyway, commercial. Commercial. And then we come back from commercial at George Washington University Hospital in Washington, D.C. So the glass blower is lying in a hospital bed and his face is all bandaged. But luckily, he's still alive. So that's that's good. Mm-hmm. At least for and a while. The doctor's there and she tells Nemhauser that she's not encouraged by what she's seen. He's lucky to be alive. And then Scully comes in and Scully tells Nemhauser that they've turned Mostow's studio upside down and there aren't any more bodies. They've recovered five in total. All of them dismembered and all young men whose faces were mutilated. And Nemhauser tells Scully that at least the glassblower is still alive. He has the same facial mutilation, but apparently they got to him fast enough that he didn't bleed out. And so it was the same weapon of choice that carved up his face by the looks of it. So Scully asks what Patterson thinks and Nemhauser says he hasn't spoken to him yet, but he's probably coming around to the idea that someone is working with Mostow. And Scully agrees that's probably true. And then Nemhauser asks what Mulder thinks. And Scully says that finding those bodies probably won't gain him points with Patterson because obviously Patterson missed the whole room, missed bodies. That's not great. Mm-hmm. But Nemhauser thinks Patterson is actually the one who went to Skinner and requested Mulder's help on the case. And Scully's surprised by that because Mulder doesn't think that Patterson thinks that highly of him. But Nemhauser tells her that three years of working this case almost broke Patterson. And then they finally catch the guy and there's a copycat murder. It totally threw him. As for what Patterson thinks, late at night, a few beers in, he'll tell Nemhauser Mulder stories, like Mulder is some kind of crack genius. And then Scully notices the wound on Nemhauser's hand. And Nemhauser tells her that Mostow bit him during the arrest. Mm. Mm, Suspicious. Suspicious. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and he's very curious about what Mulder thinks about the case. Mm-hmm. Mm. Suspicious. I mean, also, he's an agent working the case. So of course, he That's wants true. to know what so Mulder thinks, yeah. but, but also suspicious. Mm. Yeah. So Patterson arrives and asks how the victim is and if he was able to ID his attacker. And Nemhauser tells him the doctor says it's too early to try. They're not even sure the guy is going to make it. And then Patterson asks where Mulder is. And Scully tells him that Mulder is trying to find out what he can about Mastow's drawings. And Patterson asks what he's looking for. And Scully says the same thing you are, the second killer. And then the glassblower guy, the victim, right? His eyes start fluttering and his heart rate spikes. And he starts kind of like, kind of like jerking in the bed a little bit. And the doctor's there by his side. And it's like, can you take this conversation outside? Because obviously something's going on. Mm-hmm. Maybe he's about to die. We don't know. So well, so it might be upsetting him, right, to hear talk about possibly, a killer or something. Yeah, so maybe just yeah. get out, go talk about this somewhere I else. I just Let assumed he rest. was unconscious because he is up. He's got like a breathing tube, face is all covered. He uh, might be, but maybe somehow hearing that conversation yeah, is still yeah. getting in. Yeah, I just kind of assumed he was unconscious, and then he's going to like some kind of like cardiac arrest or something. But I don't. Know. That's also possible. <laughs> yeah. Who knows? I don't. I'm not a doctor. Me neither. Church, so. Anyway, we're at Georgetown University, and we are in the university library, and Mulder is sitting at a table looking through a bunch of books and materials, and then we get voiceover, and he tells us that the term gargoyle is from the French gargouille. I'm probably saying it wrong. Tori can correct me on that. because she Sounds about right, gargouille, yeah. yeah. 
Um, he says it was the name of a medieval dragon that prowled around the River Seine, which is not right. It's actually the sound that the water would make when it would come out of the spigots, because it mm. like gargle. But yeah, whatever. And the image became a symbol of the soul condemned or of devils and demons. And for 1,200 years, the image has found its expression in stone, clay, wood, oil, and charcoal. And the Muller's flipping through books, and he finds an image in a book and compares it to one of Mastow's drawings. And then we get a montage of research. Woo! Montage. <laughs> Very exciting. <laughs> yes. And Mulder asks what impulses might have moved it to kill. Is it some dark force at work? And Mulder wonders if a monster can inhabit someone and make them do its bidding, or if it's merely the monster that we call madness. Ooh. One of the books on these on the table, we get like an overhead shot of him, is called Psychic Nexus. Psychic Phenomena in Psychiatry and Everyday Life by Berthold Eric Schwartz, which was published in 1980. And because I'm a freak, I, I, bought, I bought a used copy on Amazon after watching this episode because I want to see what it's like. Oh. There's also a book called The History of Psychology. I think it's like a textbook, um, but I couldn't track that one down based on the cover and the author slash editor name on the cover as well. I couldn't read it. It was too small. So and I, I searched through a bunch of books with that title. None of the images matched. It's a textbook. This is 1996. God knows how many editions it's been. So right, yeah. I find the cover. So I'm gonna do some research. Maybe get inside yeah. the mind of the monster. It will. I will have it before we do our season three wrap up. So maybe we'll do a little. What I thought of the book at the time. I don't know. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Yes, I also found a book. I'm super <laughs> excited about that. I also bought that is called the Nitpicker's Guide to the X Files. I'm like my people. <laughs> so I ordered it and we'll see. Oh, interesting. Oh, it's yeah. For the first, it's for the first four seasons. So we'll see. Okay. If I am, if I can out nitpick the nitpicker's guide to the X Files, we'll, we'll find out. <laughs> yes. That's anyway, funny. so then Mulder, you know, we've had our montage of research and then we see footsteps coming and it's actually Patterson. He shows up and Mulder's fallen asleep in the library. Patterson like flips through something on the table, you know, scares Mulder awake, and he's like, library's closing in a few minutes. And Patterson's looking through all the stuff on the table and he asks Mulder what he really expects to find here. And Mulder's like, I'm not sure yet. And Patterson's like, you must have an idea or some kind of theory. And Mulder says he's working on a few theories, actually. And Patterson says something about having his nose stuck in a library book. And Mulder says, hey, you said it yourself. You want to know the artist? Look at the art. Patterson tells Mulder he's wasting his time because he's been there doing his own research and didn't come up with anything. And Mulder asks why Mastow is compelled to draw and sculpt the same face again and again. And while he's doing it now, and Patterson says, because he's insane. And then he picks up one of the drawings that Mulder has. And Mulder points to it and says, Mastow said the creature wants to see its own reflection. And Patterson says, Mastow has said everything except what he needs to hear, which is the name of his accomplice. And then Mulder's like, unless he's telling the truth about being possessed, Patterson asks. And he's like, I have to tell you, I'm really disappointed in you. After all this time, Patterson thought Mulder had put his feet back on the ground, but clearly he was mistaken. And then Mulder does a nice little thing. He's like, well, I wouldn't want to disappoint you by not disappointing you. And then <laughs> it's good. It's a good line. Yeah. And he's like, well, I was clearly mistaken. And then Patterson leaves. And then Mulder's like, oh, he gets up and he rubs his eyes. Cause obviously he's been in the library like all day, fell asleep in the library. And he goes over to the window. And then from out the window on the opposite side of the building, he can see a gargoyle looking at him yeah been a while since we got the whole we're disappointed in you molder you have so much potential kind of action so yeah it's kind of a throwback to like season one where that was Mm -hmm. like the constant thing yeah yeah. 
So Scully knocks on the door to Mulder's apartment. And when there's no answer, she uses her key to let herself in. And she like, you know, when she's inside, she's calling for him like Mulder and there's no answer. And then she goes back to the work area where he has his desk and she sees dozens of gargoyle drawings hanging on the walls, much like Mostow's apartment. Yeah. And then we cut to Mulder and he's standing in Mostow's studio and he's staring at one of the charcoal gargoyle faces. And we see that the clock reads 1214. And he walks deeper into the studio and looks at another drawing and he touches the face on the paper. And then we hear like voices start whispering. And then we see Mulder in like the hidden room and he's sculpting clay. Ooh. Patrick Swayze going to like show up behind him and like guide his hand while he's making the clay. Yeah, probably. Did you get that reference? I did. I've, okay. seen, I've seen ghosts. And also there's an episode of Community where they all take like a, not all of them, but some of them take like a clay sculpting class. And one of the rules in class is no ghosting. So <laughs> doing an impression of that, like the teacher's really sensitive about it. Okay. I wasn't sure. You're, you were, you were very muted in your reaction. So I wasn't sure if I wanted to swim. <laughs> I got it. So. I've seen ghosts. I saw ghosts okay. when I was a kid. Yeah. I saw it once. That was enough. Yeah, I think I think so. I think it's one of those movies where my mom, my aunt probably rented it and like watched it and like think because we were kids, we didn't have anything better to do. So we watched it too. Wasn't super into it, but I might like it more now than I'm older. I don't know. And then we see the clock now reads 340 and Mulder's asleep on Mostow's bed, I think. It might be his couch. It's hard to see. Where and he some- sleeps, yeah. And someone comes in and stands over Mulder. <gasps> and Mulder jolts awake. And the person looks a lot like Nosferatu and he runs. So Mulder chases him through the corridors and up some stairs. And we see the person he's chasing has a hand that looks sort of gargoyle-like. And then they get up and there's like this rafter full of pallets and stuff. And Mulder draws his gun. And the figure jumps out at him and hits him in the head. And Mulder stands, but then the person pushes him over the railing and he falls down to the floor below. But Mulder luckily lands on a pile of like burlap sacks or something that's soft. It's so like a bunch of like... garbage, like, like some nets and stuff like that. Yeah, something that makes it breaks his fall anyway. And he looks back up to the rafter, but the figure is gone. <gasps> it's commercial. The hand looked really bad in this scene. I mean, because you could tell like because when we see it, the person's running and they like grab the railing. And you can totally tell it's just like a rubber glove. They should have just stuck with the like bald head and pointed ear thing that we saw in the beginning. But mm-hmm. we did see it before when the model was attacked. We saw the hand holding the knife. So I get it because it's reinforcement. So you're showing the hand kind of thing. But like there, it was just like, it was just holding a knife. So it didn't look weird. But, and then I'm contractually obligated to say this. <laughs> oh, no. So this might, maybe it's Donnie Faster. He got like bald head and demon ears, and I mean it could be Donnie Faster. I'm he maybe be Donnie Faster. I'll be honest. Here's what I thought at this exact scene. Because the episode is called Grotesque, and we open with like that really pretty model guy, mm-hmm. and then we see this person. I thought it was gonna be some horrible thing where there was like oh. Mostow had some disfigured brother or something that was doing the killing. And we find out that that's like the killer is disfigured. And so they're disfiguring that's why it's other people. Like young men, relatively attractive. Oh, okay. I could. I so could that's what that. I yeah. thought was going to happen. And I was very like, oh, don't go there, X Files, which it doesn't. So good for me. No, it doesn't. Good for me. But, but that's. It might be. It might be going to Donnie Faster Land. It might be. It might be. 
God help us, it might, might be. be a demon, might not be. I mean, Mulder is it? Was it a demon? Was it a devil? I mean, we keep saying gargoyle. Maybe it's a demon. Maybe it's a demon. So come back from commercial, and an EMT is patching up Mulder's temple where he got hit by the Donnie Faster. And Scully <laughs> is there. And she tells him that she was scared because she couldn't find him and he wasn't answering his phone. And Mulder says he turned it off. And she's like, if you turn it off, why are you still carrying it around? But anyway, and the EMT tells him, like, you're all set. And Mulder, like, gets up and just walks away. And as he's walking away, the EMT's like, hey, you need to go see a doctor sometime tomorrow because it might get infected. Like, Mulder just, like, gets up and leaves. Yeah, he's not listening. Yeah. And so Scully, like, chases after him. And is like, Mulder, like, what were you doing in Moffstow's studio? And he's, like, working. And she's like, at 3.30 in the morning? And apparently she's not been able to get a hold of him, like, for two days. And so that's why she was, like, super worried. And he tells her, this thing exists. It's real. And she's like, what are you talking about? And he's like, whatever keeps killing those young men. And then Scully insists that Mostow killed those men and that someone else is continuing where he left off. And Mulder insists that whatever attacked him wasn't a person. And Scully says, maybe you're just seeing what you want to see. And he's like, what makes you think I want to see that? <laughs> just a good point, to be fair. <laughs> and like, like, you know, and they're, and they're talking as they're walking. So they don't like standing there talking to each other. So like leaving the building. And as they do, Patterson and Nemhauser are arriving and they overhear that part as Mulder and Scully walk past and head outside. So they kind of don't see each other, but they kind of like Patterson and Nemhauser see Mulder and Scully, but like Mulder and Scully don't see Patterson and Nemhauser. And then they head outside. And then Scully tells Mulder that he's starting to sound like we know she's going to say Mostow. She actually doesn't say Mostow because she stops herself. And she's like, when I couldn't reach you, I went to your apartment and I saw your new wallpaper. Mulder's like, mm. yeah. So Scully tells Mulder that Patterson is testing him and that Patterson is why Mulder was brought onto the case in the first place. And Mulder's like, what? And Scully says he requested Mulder through Skinner's office. Scully actually checked the 302 herself. And Mulder gets in his car and Scully's like, where are you going? And he just starts the car and pulls away and Scully's just left standing there, which she totally loves. And so she goes up to Patterson and Nemhauser, and she asks Patterson for a word in private. So Nemhauser steps away. And Scully asks what he's doing concerning Agent Mulder. And Patterson says that he doesn't know what she's talking about, but Scully thinks he knows exactly what he was doing when he brought him on this case and exactly how Mulder would react. And Patterson says, like, if you're concerned about Mulder's behavior, you should take it up with him. And Scully asks if this is payback for Mulder quitting the ISU eight years ago. And Patterson's like, I'm not that petty. He asked for Mulder because he wanted to close the book on this case once and for all. And Scully's like, you knew Mulder could help solve it. And Patterson tells her to let Mulder do what he has to do on this case. Don't get in his way and don't try to hold him back because you won't be able to. And then Patterson walks away. And Nemhauser is sort of watching from afar and he's holding his injured hand in a really suspicious way. Mm. Yeah. Interestingly, the ISU is not mentioned in Mulder's official dossier at all. In 1988, he was assigned to violent crimes under Reggie Perdue, where he also worked with Jerry Lamana, right? Both now dead. Yeah. Um, but this was also written before season three. So, <laughs> but eight years ago would have been 1988, but he graduated from Oxford in 1986. And then join the FBI Academy. So, I mean, there's inconsistency. I mean, no surprise, but. Yeah. Right. No, yeah. There's no place. There's no place for him to have worked in both. So, anyway. Yeah. That's how it goes. It is. Especially with the show that's ongoing because 
they say stuff and then they have to add stuff to fill in story and they don't yeah. bother to update their profiles or i've read somewhere the show didn't even have a show bible which to me is just complete madness i don't know how it's, you would even it is kind of crazy that you would do that if you're again i talked about like if you're like if you're doing a movie or a one-off or some tv movies that's one thing but like that's always been my thing early on was like you guys are writing a show that you i'm assuming are hoping is going to progress and continue right and is going to be like a one seasoner and mm-hmm. so you think you would have at least some idea of what was going on and like keep track of stuff and they seem yeah. not to have done that. and i think maybe but, they did but maybe just not in an official central capacity that would allow everyone writing on the show to like fill stuff in and also double check against like what they've already established i mean that doesn't mean you can't change stuff or retcon stuff but at least you'd know like where to start i feel like that would be i don't know i just feel like that would just make your brain hurt trying to do it but whatever i don't know (laughs) so scully goes back to her car and then she's like she's getting her car and she's getting ready to start it and then she looks over and she sees something shiny on the tire of a police car that's nearby so she gets her flashlight out of the glove box and she walks over and shines it on it and it is a U utility knife blade stuck in the tire and so she pulls it out she actually is using she's not wearing the glove but she's using like i guess she always has gloves in her pocket but she uses it like a tissue like she's done previously and i've been like why did she just put it on but she kind of just uses the glove like a tissue and like pulls the blade out and then she gets down on the ground and looks under the car and we see like the two plastic halves of like the broken utility knife like one somewhere and one somewhere it's like it got me got ran over and broke apart that's why the blade is out of it too so interesting hmm, yeah and also i guess that knife just wedged in just right not to puncture the tire because tired is yeah. flat. it was lucky stuck in the tread so yeah it must have got in a nice flattish ankle i guess then we're back at the correctional facility where mostow is and Mulder is buzzed in and he's led into mostow cell and he asks mostow while it didn't kill him like it killed the others and mostow says if he could tell him the reason he wouldn't understand and Mulder asks him to help him understand and to help him get inside the creature's head so he can understand what it wants. And Mostow's like, it wants what it wants. And then Mulder's like, it wants to kill innocent people by carving up their faces. And Mostow tells him, like, he's felt its hunger. Nothing can be done. And Mulder says, unless I find it. And Mostow's like, well, then what will you do? And Mulder doesn't answer. He just asks Mostow to tell him how to find it. Mostow refuses and stands up because he kind of, Mulder's kind of getting a crazy look in his eye. Mm-hmm. And Mosto realizes that Mulder's getting a crazy look in his eyes. So Mosto is actually kind of getting a little bit scared. And so he stands up, like to back away from Mulder. I guess with reason, because then Mulder hits him and grabs him by the throat. And Mosto tells him, It can only find you. And then Mulder lets go, but he stares down at him. And then Mosto's like, Maybe it already has. And his mouth is like full of blood. Mm-hmm. Mulder hit him. So that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. And by cool, I mean not cool. No, no, not yeah. good. Yeah, it's reverse day, so I say the opposite. <laughs> so then we're at the FBI side crime lab. At it sounds la- fake as hell. Oh my it God. does sound fake. <laughs> at the latent fingerprint section, because they have a section for that. Yeah, they have a section for regular fingerprints, and they have one for latent fingerprints. Like, I don't know. Okay, anyway. The whole side crime thing is... Oh my God. I, don't, I don't know if that's the name they're using. I mean, we're going to find out later when the lady says something, they're goofy there but um yeah Yeah. like crime lab is weird so scully is with a fingerprint technician and the technician tells her that on her first look all three pieces were clean 
but on her second try, she got lucky. And so she shows Scully the blade dusted with fluorescent light powder under a black light. And there's what appears to be a partial index print. And on the handle, there's almost a full thumbprint. Then the technician tells her that, like, sadly, it's not as lucky as she thought. So she's had Scully come look at these under, like, this special black light. And Scully's like, goggles on. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, oh, and it's like, you know, Scully's like, well, that's lucky. And the technician's like, no, actually, I already ran the prints against the NCIC database. And Scully's like, you told me you identified them. And the tech says, well, I did, but it's one of our own people, Agent Fox Mulder. And Scully's like, these are Mulder's prints. Are you sure? And the tech's like, I double checked. And she's a little confused as she assumed Mulder would have been the one who recovered the knife. So that's why his prints were on it. And Scully just kind of excuses herself. She being the tech. Right. Yes. Why are you acting weird? Because Scully is surprised that Mulder's prints are on it. But then the tech is like, well, I thought he's the one who got the knife. So that's why his prints were on the knife because he grabbed it. This scene is hilarious to me because it's kind of like the thing that Nick complains about, but times 10. Because like Nick always complains when they like read a report and then they're like, it's all normal, except (laughs) this is worse, though, because she totally could have skipped. Like she spends all this time showing Scully these fingerprints and like making this big deal out of it when she could have just said, like, I got your prints back. They're molders or whatever. And it's just so funny because it's all this buildup. And then it's like, oh, but they're molders. And I just, I normally don't mind the for the viewer science stuff or the visuals, but it just felt really silly to have Scully like sit down and look at these prints. And like, it's so important just for the tech who knows they're just an FBI agent, like her partners. Like, why would she go through all that just to tell her that they're molders prints? It just seemed really silly. Yeah. And I'm just sitting here beaming with pride. <laughs> Well, it did. I mean, and like you said, it's like, because t- there's like layers of this. Like, not only, the first is like, well, we couldn't get anything on our first try, but then we tried something else that we apparently normally would try anyway. So why didn't you just do it? The, like, did you just look at it as the first try? I don't know, like with your eyes. And then I mentioned they do something, like, apparently it's it's not normal to just say powder. They say powder backwards in that section because it's, haha, that's what we do. We say powder backwards okay oh yeah i left that and part then, out that was kind of yeah silly. <laughs> like whatever and then yeah i just don't yeah but yeah the whole thing you're right yeah it's really yeah. very much that this could have been an email type deal yeah, like then she's like email. then she's like well so we got lucky and scully's like yeah it's like but then i looked them up and i couldn't find anything in the database and it's like well wait you said like you we don't need all these like build up suspense bits lady just tell me what you found just like, tell us they're Mulder's prints that's still weird right we know that's yeah. weird scully like, will know are that's you paid weird by the hour what are you doing <laughs> like just like come on <laughs> i mean gotta get that sweet overtime money right you gotta find reasons oh to be in the I'm lab salary you're wasting my time <laughs> you just tell me what the hell i want you know thank you <laughs> yeah so that scene was kind of silly to me but anyway there it is <laughs> yeah Anyway, so then at FBI headquarters, we're in evidence room L7, and an agent is walking Scully through a row of evidence boxes and pulls one down, and he's like, do you want to look at it at the table? And she's like, no, it's fine in here. Again, like, dark as hell in there, so she's going to look at this place in, like, super darkness, but anyway, okay. He's like, okay, I'll just put it on the floor for you, and then the phone rings, so he runs off to go get it. And then Scully opens the box, and she finds an empty evidence bag labeled knife, and she sighs. And the agent comes back and tells her that the phone call was from assistant director Skinner. And he wants to see her right away. Jeez. So. Also, I'm just saying, I, re- I realize like sometimes things happen and you like, it just, we've, we talk about chain of custody all the time. And this is actually 
a chain of custody is a thing in this actual scene, right? The knife is missing. But like, he's like, here, you want to look at this at the room where you're supposed to look at it? No, I'll just do it here on the floor. Okay, fine. I'm going to leave and let you look at it by yourself. And then come like, that's not a good chain of evidence either. Because then when something's missing, did you sign for anything? Like, what? I don't know. Yeah. We know Mulder's not great with gloves. So like, however, now it comes like he's being set up because the knife is missing. Right. So hmm, we have access to that. Um, the only problem is, is that Mulder didn't recover the knife. I mean, like you said, like the agent thought Mulder did. Goalie knows he didn't. But Patterson's the one who recovered it with gloves on. Right. But the bag actually says it was recovered by J.D. Sams. Oh. And it was given to him by P.C. Green. And then like all the dates and times are blank. I think we're just not supposed to look at the bag. We're just supposed to see that it's empty. Because mm. like nothing is what it should be. Like it has yeah. like... Mastow's name on it has like his address has like the l7 room number but then like all the dates and all the things that you would be checking are like gone so yeah i think it's just it's prop and so they didn't do all the stuff that you would do but yeah anyway but yeah anyway it's weird. it's weird yep but the knife's missing yep not good and then this is going to get even weirder here in a second because skinner apparently already knows the knife is missing yes he does and that's why he called Scully. So Scully goes into his office and he says, I know you were in evidence just now. And he's like, were you looking for the murder weapon, the Mastow case? And she says, I was. And he's like, did you find it? And she's like, no. And then he asked her if it's her opinion that the missing weapon is the same one that she found at the crime scene. So he already knew it was missing. Uh-huh. So. What, what? Stuff's not getting to Scully quick enough. No one's telling I her don't anything. Understand what's going on. <laughs> Anyway, she says she's not certain if that is the same knife. And Skinner says he knows that Mulder's prints are on it. Right, so, so clearly that information too. she made Scully sit through this whole like presentation, <laughs> but she probably emailed Skinner the results. She's like, yeah, it's Mulder. Uh, on the anyway. knife, Mulder's prints are on it. Talk to you later. Bye. Gotta go. <laughs> I gotta go. Scully's I, here. I, I gotta go harass Scully for like 20 spend minutes. 30 minutes <laughs> showing her prints and walking her through very slowly where they came yeah. from. I'll call you when she leaves so you can make sure and call when she's in the evidence room. Okay, bye. <laughs> oh, and then he oh, asked if she's seen Mulder or spoken to him about this, and she's like, no. So, so Skinner asked if she has any insight into Mulder's current mental state, and she says she knows Mulder is working very hard on this case at Skinner's request. And Skinner asked if she's worried about Mulder, and she's like, no, sir. And then Skinner's like, off the record, and she just sits there looking like, oh. And then he's like, so am I. So, <laughs> yeah. So we see Mulder is in Mostow's statue room and it's full of half-destroyed gargoyle figures. And he stands for a moment and then he walks through the statues with his flashlight. And there's a drawing on the easel that he stops at for a second. And then something growls and attacks Mulder from behind. And we see a gargoyle-like figure jump him. But Mulder just sees Nemhauser and Patterson standing over him. And he has a utility knife and he slashes at his attacker's face. And there's a scream. And it's his own face. And then Mulder wakes up. And he's on his sofa in his own apartment. And there are gargoyle drawings all over the walls. And then Mulder stands, puts on a coat, and he leaves. It's just like in Empire Strikes Back when Luke, you know, goes into like the tree and then he has to fight Darth Vader and he 
gets him and then Darth Vader's head falls off and then the mask breaks away and it's Luke's face inside. Right. Yeah, that's what this is like. Whew, scary. What if that means like Patterson is his father? Anyway, yeah. We'll be weird. So I realize this is a dream, but we have seen and we will see shortly that the statues are still just like hanging out in Mostow's like, why aren't those in evidence? Why hadn't they take like, their body parts in those? Why are they still just like hanging? They like just came and took the body parts out and like, oh yeah, leave these here. That's fine. We don't, we don't have room. You know, a box is big enough for stuff. I don't know. This case has like a million people working on it and no one's doing a very great job. And no one's like guarding the location. <laughs> Mulder just comes and goes as he pleases and like hangs out there, sleeps there. Just, yeah. Okay. <sighs> so Mulder, now that he's awake from his nightmare, drives to Mostow's building. And he walks down the hall and he ends up back in the room with the gargoyle models. And he zones in on one in particular because maybe it looks a little little fresh. Mm -hmm. And he walks up to it and he touches the face and we can see like the clay is still wet. So it's obviously a very new figure. And then Mulder turns and he sees the cat behind him and it's licking blood. Poor Mm. kitty. Someone should get that cat some food. That poor cat. But the blood is kind of like where the cat is. is kind of the end of a trail. So Mulder follows the blood and he finds part of a body. Arm. Yeah, an arm. Yeah. And then he kind of like kind of slumps against the wall. Like, I don't know if it's like, oh, God, another murder or he's just wiped out or a combination of both. I don't know. Yeah. So and it's commercial time. And when Mulder was driving into the area, we get a nice overhead shot of him driving in. And it was like, oh, my God, it's like it looks super like Clarence Boddicker's hideout, kind of like very industrial looking from Robocop. So I was like, oh, I don't know if that was intentional or not. Robocop was 1987. So obviously he did that before he did this. But Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. So we come back from a commercial and Scully is at home. She just got there and her answer machine light is blinking. So she hits play on the machine and the message is from Nemhauser. And he asked her to call him right away about a possible and then it like cuts off message ends so scully picks up her phone and dials so i guess she has his his number and i'm not sure why he's calling her home phone is it her fbi phone they don't have they don't have messages so we couldn't hear the message if that was the case yeah so a phone rings in mostel's sculpture room and Mulder follows the sound and he finds the phone in a pocket of a discarded jacket so he answers it and it's scully and she's surprised to hear Mulder's voice he tells her he's in Mostow's studio. And she's like, oh, are you with Nemhauser? And he's like, no, should I be? And she's like, well, that's who I was calling. He left me a message saying he needed to speak with me. And Mulder sounds a little weird. He sounds a little kind of like off. And she's like, do you know where Nemhauser is? And Mulder's like, I'm, I'm not sure. And she tells him that she thinks the knife they recovered from the crime scene is the same one that Mostow used. Mulder's like, why do you think that? And she says, because Mostow's was stolen from evidence. He's like, when? And she's like, well, I was hoping you could tell me. Your prints were on it. And he's like, yeah, I examined the knife yesterday in the evidence room. And she's like, why? He's like, I wanted to hold it to see what it felt like. But he didn't take it. And Scully tells him to stay where he is and she'll be there in a few minutes. And then they can work this out together because obviously some Mulder's acting kind of weird. Something weird's going on. Yeah. And it's not like those are like, it's a rare, not, you can go buy one of those. They're super cheap. 
and you could hold one just like it in your hand, dude. You don't have to touch the very same one unless you're thinking you're getting like psychic energy from it or something. So. Yeah. And Mulder stares at the wet clay sculpture and he finally is like, yeah, and he hangs up. And then he walks over to the wet sculpture and he stares at it for a moment. And then instead of waiting for evidence or forensics or someone, he just digs his fingers in and starts mm-hmm. tearing the wet clay off. And it reveals Nemhauser's face. <gasps> oh, and then he hears someone behind him and he draws his gun. And he turns around. It's Patterson. And he's like, what are you doing here? And Patterson's like, I was going to ask you the same question. And Mulder gestures to the sculpture and he says, it's Nemhauser. Patterson is quiet and doesn't say anything. And Mulder's like, but you already knew that, didn't you? You killed him, Bill. When he suspected it was you, you killed him. And so maybe that's why Nemhauser was trying to call Scully. Yeah. Who it was. Yeah. And so Mulder raises his gun at Patterson. And Patterson's like, you're out of your mind. Put your gun down. And Mulder says, not until Patterson tells him what he's doing there. And Patterson's kind of like, I, I don't know why I'm here kind of like you know he's not he actually does seem like literally confused about why he's there not just like mm-hmm. trying to bluff it. and Mulder's like look at your hands he does you're covered in dried clay like he'd been doing some clay stuff and then they dried and Patterson admits that he's not sure what he's doing there and Mulder says he's there because he spent three years sinking deeper and deeper into Mastow's mind living and breathing that horror show just like he taught them all to do and when Patterson finally caught Mastow it didn't go away the violence stayed alive within him, and then it had to come out. Patterson didn't want to do what he was doing, but he couldn't stop. That's why he called Mulder in on the case in the first place, and why he couldn't kill Mulder when he had the chance. <gasps> and then Scully comes in and flashes her light on Mulder's face, and it's like, Mulder, what are you doing with your gun? I'm Patterson. Get it out of his face. And he's like, you don't understand what's going on. And so Patterson uses the distraction to like hit Mulder, and then hits Scully and knocks her down and then runs. <laughs> it's like, oh, Scully, at least she didn't shoot him this time. That's good, I guess. So Mulder helps Scully up. And it's like, it's him, Scully. And then she, they run after Patterson. Yeah, I mean, in Scully's defense, Mulder has been acting super fucking unhinged and like weird. And like, as far as she knows, Patterson is a solid FBI agent. So it is a weird thing to walk into. And I can definitely see her being like, Mulder, what the frick are you doing? But yeah, it's, yeah, it's not <laughs> like this is the first time Mulder has been super unhinged. And then it and still it correct. Fine. Yeah, I know. Because so. he's pretty Mulder might loses marbles once in a while but even when he does he still kind of has a handle on what's going on like no, he never we completely... mentioned manhunter in the beginning totally yeah. this is what it is right yeah it's very will graham yeah, yeah exactly yeah 100 yep. percent. yep <laughs> so Mulder and scully chase patterson through the building and upstairs to the roof and he has kind of a gargoyle face yeah. and when they get up there there's no sign of patterson so they decide to split up to look for him and there's a noise and birds scatter but no one's there. So Mulder climbs up to a higher part of the roof and then something growls and runs at him. And it's like a gargoyle person and it knocks Mulder to the ground and he can't get his gun. So he reaches for it as the gargoyles on top of him and the attacker raises a hand holding the utility knife (gasps) and Scully's still searching, but she hears the gunshot and she turns and she sees a body tumble over the raised roof section that Mulder had been on. And she runs over And she sees Mulder on the ray section with his gun drawn and he's scanning the area. So Mulder climbs down as Scully kneels by the body that fell and they turn it over to reveal Patterson. (gasps) And Scully tells him the pulse is still strong. So to call an ambulance and the camera pans up 
Well, Mulder makes the call and we see a gargoyle overlooking them. A stone gargoyle. A stone, like a, yeah, not not a person. Like a gargoyle or, person. Something. Yeah. 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 So that was definitely Patterson. We saw he had a gargoyle kind of mm-hmm. face when he was climbing the stairs. So yeah. Ooh. So then it's two weeks later, and Patterson's in a cell at the correctional facility, and he's shouting that he didn't do it. It wasn't him. For God's sakes, isn't anyone listening? I didn't kill them. And then in Mulder's voiceover, we get, we work in the dark. We do what we can to battle the evil that would otherwise destroy us. And while he's talking, the camera kind of closes in on this drawing of a gargoyle faces on the wall of the cell behind Patterson that's at least partially made with blood. So, And then voiceover continues. Sometimes the weight of this burden causes us to falter, allowing the monster without to turn within. We are left alone staring into the abyss, into the laughing face of madness. Yeah. So, yeah. The gargoyle drawings were created by assistant art director Gary Allen. Who did the sculptures? I don't know. Didn't say. I'm guessing Gary Allen and his team. I'm assuming all of them. Cinematographer John Bartley, who said he was very proud of this episode's look, was actually nominated for an Emmy for this episode. Yeah, it's pretty good. I mean... They need to stop blocking people up in Arkham Asylum. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, like when Patterson's are like, I didn't do it. Like the bars are all like, like they're like, like they're not rusted, but they, they're kind of that like decaying metal kind of bar, like super old timey. I mean, I don't know. The only correction facility I've ever been in, like physically is Alcatraz. Like, you know, I went on the tour and saw Alcatraz. Everything else I know about prisons are from like the media and like comic books. And so I don't know. Yeah. Honestly. But I'm assuming that the majority of them aren't like Arkham Asylum and like super dark all the time and have like super ancient looking bars <laughs> and are dank and wet and disgusting and like the side of the buildings aren't all like peeling paint. I could be wrong, but I, I'm guessing they're not. I don't know. Yeah, I don't really know. I mean, I know that facilities like that generally aren't great, but I don't know if they're actually like comic book bad like that. I don't know. Yeah. I've also been to Alcatraz, but that's about the only prison I've ever been into. Apparently, I am not the only person who's contractually obligated to mention Irresistible when discussing this episode, though, because, again, I went through some books and Irresistible comes up a lot. Oh, does it? And people are talking about this episode. Yeah, they keep comparing it to Irresistible. And of course, I I initially poo pooed this idea of like, oh, they're not they're not any. But then I kind of started thinking about it and I realized they do have some similarities. But I do disagree with the way people use it because they're comparing them as episodes. And they keep saying how Irresistible is such a fantastic episode <laughs> and how this one just, you know, falls short of Irresistible because Irresistible is like the greatest thing since like sliced bread. And it was like... People really like Donnie Fasker as a villain, which again, I kind of get it. Like when I think about it, it just for whatever reason didn't work for me. But like, I kind of see why maybe because like... If they had done like this one... It is kind of like what what the hell's going on? Yes, the whole like oh, transforming yeah. into a gargoyle. Like what is going on, right? But if that had been done like this one is, and we kind of got more. I mean, not to, again, we don't really know what's going on, but it's better than like I'm just going to randomly like shape shift into a bunch of people and occasionally look like a demon and not tell you and why. not explain it in any way or address it at all in the yeah. Episode. At least we get some kind of idea maybe what's going on here. We don't know for sure. We don't get like a nice wrap up, but it would have been. I mean, and also just, I mean, you and I don't like Irresistible. We kind of actually don't like it for different reasons. Right. I I kind of understand your reasons why you don't like it. You kind of understand my, I mean, my big thing is just like, I, the acting I think is. Right. 
but and then there's also other issues but um, yeah whereas yeah, i just, just had people... lots of issues with the writing and the way it was done so that's my big issue yeah. with it but i see why people like it like i totally get the appeal we went over that in our season two wrap up yeah but yeah just the yeah i don't know people just totally love irresistible and apparently comparing this episode to irresistible is a big thing i could see that it didn't really occur to me which is funny because like you think it would have i was more like I was just expecting different stuff from this episode. Like I definitely expected Nemhauser and obviously we're supposed to, he's the red herring. Right. But I definitely yeah. thought that he mm-hmm. was like, it was going to be some Good kind job. of transmission. Yeah, no, that was well done. Howard Gordon. Remember Howard Gordon got me in. I mean, it was, it, it was kind of a joke. He got me, but he also got me in fresh bones with the werewolf thing. When I was like, werewolf, I was super excited that we might get a werewolf and it wasn't, I mean, I knew it was going to be voodoo, but right. the whole dead dog thing. And I was like, yeah, so. I mean, he got you with the dead kid. He did. He did. He got me good. He got me good. <laughs> and he got me with this one, too, because I definitely, I mean, I do watch a lot of zombie stuff, so that's obviously my first thought. But, like, yeah, I definitely was like, okay, Nemhauser's up to something. There's something going on there because mm-hmm. he keeps, they keep yeah, focusing like, on know, the bite. If it was some kind of, like, demonic trans, you know, then that would be, now it's been transferred because of saliva or something. Right, yeah. Or just, like, the spirit latched onto you when you had contact or mm-hmm. something, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. yeah so that was good that was that was a good one that was a good that was solid good job howard gordon yeah that was good yeah i gotta say this episode didn't go where i thought it was going in different places like there were definitely different places where i was like oh i get where it's going and then it did not go there so good job yeah you could almost think of this as a critique of the whole like if you want to catch a monster you gotta be a monster mm-hmm. like, they, you know kind of thing I don't know if that's what the intention is, but you can kind of almost see it as that if you wanted to. I think so. And also just like, it's an interesting idea of like what, again, we get to see what other people think of Mulder and this idea that Patterson doesn't really like Mulder, but he knows that Mulder will go all in to catch somebody and to like solve the case so much that he's willing to kind of like let Mulder just run his course, whatever weird course that is, because he thinks he'll come to the conclusion. And he's like telling Scully to back off, let him do his thing. Did he which... do it because he knew that only Mulder could stop him? Did he deep down know that it was him and just couldn't control? I think so. I think Patterson was like, Mulder's the one who can make this stop. Yeah. So I don't know. I think it's interesting. Last episode, we talked about how like Chris Carter was kind of, we talked about like, the whole imitation kind of thing about like you know imitating like you know darren morgan and that kind of thing mm-hmm. and then we have talked before about howard gordon how he, he tends to like maybe pull from other episodes that have been in the past for ideas and kind of rewrite just the same plot but with different things and with all the comparisons of irresistible it's kind of interesting because if you think of this one as a like imitation as well chris carter obviously wrote irresistible so but our two i think our two imitation episodes are possibly better than the episodes they are trying to imitate so yeah i don't know if this was trying to imitate irresistible i didn't see anything about that but maybe well just because of all the compare like right like i said all the 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 two again monster of the week book and wanting to believe book right what i just usually in like trust no one or in some of the other books they'll have like some discussion of the like inspiration for the episode and this one didn't really have it so yeah apparently the, the, the inspiration for the episode was that Howard Gordon, I guess, like, he's some hick who's never been in the big city and, like, saw a gargoyle on a building. It was like, ooh, gargoyles. That's a good idea. Like, he'd never seen one before. I don't know what, to, like, why suddenly he saw one and it made him want to write the story. 
you never seen or heard of gargoyles before, Howard Gordon? Maybe he hadn't really noticed them. I've been in cities before and not really thought about it. So yeah, I don't know. That's kind of one of those like, uh, that sounds like a story. (laughs) Nick is skeptical of everything everyone says about making the show pretty much forever. Well, because I mean, it's been, (laughs) I honestly, you, when you're being interviewed that often, yeah, want you don't want to tell them the boring shit of like I was in the shower scrubbing my armpit and I was like, oh, you know, it'd be cool. Like you want to come up with a good story, and so and you want something <laughs> that you enjoy telling, right? And isn't boring, and so you, you know, you fudge. You it's true. It's true. They were, and a lot of so. times, like people don't really know where their ideas or inspiration comes from. They just kind of start something and it happens, and they're like, okay, this is the story we're going with, yeah. and like who knows. Who knows where it really came from? No nefariousness intended or needs to be implied. Just like you want to, you want to make yourself look good. You want to say something entertaining that people are going to want to read. And they're going to talk to you again because you're like, yeah, this, okay. If I ask them a question, you're going to tell me some story about, you know, that's boring as hell that no one cares (laughs) about. Like you want good copy, right? So they're in the business to entertain. And I'm not sure that you can actually turn that off even when you're trying to be you know so that's very fair i know i do that on this podcast all the time so. <laughs> so i guess we should do ratings we should that is one of the things that we do it is it is i'm not sure how entertaining it is but we do it <laughs> let us know no i'm just kidding <laughs> i think for me this one is a six six yeah i mean it was good it was very solid again it didn't go where i thought it was gonna go yeah it was good usually i like unhinged molder like usually that's my favorite thing this episode eh, i mean it was it was there it was interesting but i feel like it wasn't just i wasn't as invested in it as i normally am but it was good Hmm. the other thing i noticed in the books it's weird because both books both the wanting to believe and the monster of the week book you could almost think the same person wrote both sections. They they are so like in lockstep with each other and everything they say, it's kind of like, mm. anyway. The other big thing was that this was like David Duchovny's best performance ever in this episode. I'm kind of like- I mean, I think he did a good it's job. Not, it's not bad. I don't know. I think he did a way better job in Oubliette. I think that was a way better Yeah. Performance. I mean, here's the thing. I mean, you've done some acting. I've done some acting on stage. It's actually not that hard to be over the top crazy. No, it's really easy. I mean, it's it depends on to... how nuanced you want it to be. But yeah, yeah, it is a little bit. Well, I mean, yeah, nuance and over the top usually don't interact. But it's actually pretty easy. It's much harder to be like super nuanced and subtle and that kind of thing. And so in this episode, Mulder is supposed to be kind of like overwrought and over the top. And so it's like, okay, yeah, he did it. I'm not gonna say he didn't do a good job, but I'm also gonna be like, it's not his best performance so far in the <laughs> show like a little i again we know i stopped reading the books for a reason i may have to like cut myself back two two episodes in i'm kind of like i maybe step back from the books again you guys are getting on my nerves so probably how what all our listeners think every episode they listen to anyway um i'm gonna go with hmm i'm actually looking at the spreadsheet here because i'm i'm having trouble deciding where this is slotting and so I'm trying to be fair. Yeah, I had to think about it for a while because it wasn't my favorite episode, but it was good. So it was just kind of mm. one of those where I'm like, what do I rate it? Mm. Uh, I can't decide. I, 
I can't decide between a seven and an eight. Okay. Is what I can't decide. Uh, if I give it a seven, then I look at a couple of the ones I gave an eight to, and I'm like, oh, but it's kind of. A... But then if I give it an eight, I look at some of the ones I gave a seven to, and I'm kind of like, oh, but is it? Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm really stuck. Um, I need to pick one, I guess. Let's go with. Let's go with seven. Okay. I, I get. No, I'm gonna go with an eight. I'm gonna go with an eight. Yep, I'm going with an eight for this one. I gave Revelation to seven. I gave seven thirty-one to seven. I'm trying to think of not Mythark ones. I gave the list to seven. I don't know. I'm going. Back, I'm changing it back to a seven. I don't. I, I'm torn on this one. I can't tell if I want to go with seven or eight. So I'm gonna go with a seven. Yes. Yeah. I gave this a six. I gave Revelations a six. That feels about right for me. I feel like that's where this episode sits okay. for me. So I feel like that's good. I mean, that would fit because I gave Revelations a seven. So if we're if we're kind of being simpatico, yeah, then that's good. Yeah. I'm just kind of. Uh, yeah, I feel like six is good because that's also kind of what I gave DPO, and I feel like that's about right. Yeah, okay, I'm gonna go with six. I'm gonna stick with it for now. All right, so seven and six, and again, I mean, just in our discussion, I started with a seven, I went to an eight, and I went back to a seven. So that one, we'll see if that stays. A seven. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna have to see how they play out, and uh, we'll, we'll go from there. Yeah, exactly. We'll see where things land. Yeah, we're mentioning the season wrap ups a lot lately. It sounds like we're desperate for people to listen to them. <laughs> they do have a little bit lower listenership, and I get it. Like, you're just listening to the episode. You don't, you don't care about our nonsense afterwards. Although, if you don't care about our nonsense, I kind of wonder, like, why you're listening to the podcast at all. Because it's, <laughs> like, at least 75% our nonsense and then, like, 25% the episode. But It is. There's a lot of our nonsense. <laughs> and if you like our nonsense, you should join our Patreon. Oh, we're whoa, for $5 a month. Oh, my God. Wow. You get at least one bonus episode. Right now, it's like two bonus episodes. It's such a great deal. Five bucks a month, and you can listen to us talk about lots of other things. So it's very exciting. Very yeah, fun. and I mentioned Bill and Mandy Save Christmas, which is an awesome Christmas special. We're going to be talking about another awesome Christmas special on our Patreon. Yes, we so, are. Yeah, we are. So Check it out. <laughs> All right, let's cut it. All right. I Want to Rewatch is hosted by Tori and Nick and edited by Lazy Ann Productions. That's right. We made this. And be sure to join us next time as we rewatch The X-Files Season 3, Episode 15, Piper Maru. And try to figure out if, if the, the truth, truth is still, still out there. there.
episode originally aired on Friday, February 2nd, 1996. And then it aired again, and then it aired again, and then it aired again. (laughs) It was filmed in British Columbia, Canada, and it was written by Howard Gordon and directed by Kim Manners. I should do that one more time. This episode originally aired on Friday, February 2nd. 1996. Oh my god, I just got the Groundhog Day joke. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, what the fuck is he talking about? And then I'm like, oh, February 2nd. Duh. Groundhog Day. Oh my god. Oh Oh my god. Okay. (laughs) There, there's that blooper right there. Right there. Boom. Nothing else is going to surpass that. Holy crap. Okay, wow. I can't believe I was like, what is he even talking about? And then I was like, oh yeah, fuck, fuck. Sometimes I was like, like I said, sometimes things just don't fucking click. All right. Uh, that was great. 